of e-church this morning, you'll be lighting your first candle. And the first candle in Advent is the candle of hope. That'd be quite apt for our church, wouldn't it? The candle of hope, representing the hope of Jesus, a light shining in the darkness coming into the world. God's gift to us. And that is rather appropriate, because as we've already said this morning, we're looking at a new three-part mini-series called The Gift, leading up to Christmas Day. The series is about exchanges that take place in our relationship with God. This week, we're going to be looking at giving God our worries in exchange for his gift of peace. Next week, Liam will be talking about giving God our hurts in exchange for his gift of healing. And the last week will be about giving God our grief in exchange for his gift of joy. As you've no doubt seen in the shops and on your TVs, we're fast approaching a wonderful time, that time of Christmas. And if you've not started your Christmas shopping yet, you have three and a half weeks to get it done. (laughs) Coming home from hospital um, a couple of weeks ago, Um, Sorry, in the last week of October, I saw my first house covered with Christmas lights. And then a couple of weeks ago, we received our first Christmas card. No, it wasn't from overseas. It was from Shropshire. I don't know. November seems wrong to receive Christmas cards, doesn't it? Christmas is a time when we're overly busy, wandering on wondering how on earth we're going to fit everything in. And for many, they will extend themselves financially and then have to ask themselves, how on earth are we going to be able to pay for all of this? For some people, the time of Christmas holds memories of their deepest hurts or maybe sorrow over lost loved ones. And they worry about how they're going to get through it. So today... We're going to pick up our scripture reading from midway through Christ's Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most, if not the most important sermon ever preached. And it covers three chapters in Matthew from five to seven with various subheads along the way. You'll be pleased to know we're not going to look at all three chapters this morning. So please don't start waving your watches at me. This morning we're going to look at a small section from Matthew 6 which in my Bible is headed up, worry. Starting at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Is that, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown onto the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father God, as we open your word this morning, I pray that we will open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us as individuals and as a body of your people in this church today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my Lord and my Redeemer. Amen. Jesus tackles the issue of worry head on. So it must be an important topic when it comes to our relationship with God. Let's be clear at the beginning. There's a difference between worry and concern. There are times when we should be concerned about situations that arise in our life. For example, you may be concerned that the doctor has mentioned your cholesterol is high and you need to take steps to reduce it, such as watching your diet and exercising. That's an understandable concern. Or maybe you're concerned about your child who is constantly misbehaving and you need to take action and administer some discipline to them. Concern for something is okay. But there's a big difference between concern and worry. Concern focuses on probable events and takes action. Worry focuses on improbable events and doesn't do anything productive. So let's define the word worry. The verb and noun of the word worry are in fact both very similar, meaning to feel or cause or be in a state of feeling anxious or troubled about actual or potential problems. In essence, worry talks of allowing our minds to dwell on potentially negative outcomes beyond our actual control. Have we got any Pete's in the uh, congregation this morning? No. Any Fred's? No. Good. Pete went to see a, see a psychologist. <coughs> Pete went to see a psychologist because he was anxious and stressed out all the time. And at the end of their first session, the psychologist said to Pete, I've got some instructions for you to carry out before we meet again at your next session. And the psychologist said... I want you to play a round of golf. And Pete replied, Doc, I tried to play golf, but I always end up more stressed after I finished than before I started. And if you're a golfer, you'll understand why he said that. The psychologist said, I want you to play it different this time. Take your clubs, walk the course, but only play with an imaginary ball. This will enable you to have a stress-free game of golf. Pete thought it was kind of weird, but he decided he'd go along with his counsellor's instructions. So he went to his local golf course, one that he knew well, and set up at the first tee. Making sure no one was looking, he teed up his imaginary ball. You can just imagine him on the first hole, can't you? Swung the club... And what do you know? A 
yard drive straight down the middle of the fairway. His second shot lands on the green and he puts in for par. And the second hole produces the same result. Fantastic, he thinks. As he steps onto the tee of the third hole, Fred, who unknown to Pete had been watching him from a distance, comes up and asks, what on earth are you doing? And Pete tells him about his visit to the therapist. And Fred says, oh, do you mind if I join in? Pete says, sure. So they go back to the first hole and start from the beginning. And they're having a great stress-free time of golf until the middle of the fairway on the 18th hole. The score is tied. Don't ask. Don't go into that. The score is tied. And Pete steps up, swings his club and says, wow, would you look at that? The ball is on the green and rolling towards the the hole. And it's in. It's in. And he turns to Fred. And Fred says, shaking his head, that's a great shot. But you used my ball. (laughs) We worry about the daftest of things. From a worldly point of view, there are many reasons why we shouldn't worry. So let's look at some of the more compelling reasons not to worry. Firstly, because it's dangerous to our health. Doctors report that 43% of all adults suffer ill effects to their health because of worry and stress. 75% of all visits to doctors are stress-related complaints or disorders. Worry has been linked to all the leading causes of death, including heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, and suicide. And someone once said that ulcers are not caused by what you eat, but what is eating you. In 2018, Forth With Life published results from a stress survey conducted in the UK. Let's look at some of those results. A little bit small, but I'll read them out to you. 85% of UK adults are experiencing stress or worry regularly. 39% of adults admit that they feel stressed in their day-to-day lives. Over a third of British residents feel stressed for at least one day a week. 54% of people who are stressed worry about the impact it's having on their health. 32% of people use exercise to overcome stress. And the most common cause of stress is money, followed by work, health issues, failure to get enough sleep, and get this, household chores. I'll leave that one. We won't go there this morning. Slide two on on stress. Um, Women suffer stress more than than, uh, three days more than men a month. That's probably because they're worrying about their fellas. 42% of women believe they are too stressed compared with 36% of men. Women are more likely to seek relief through watching TV while men prefer to go for a walk. It doesn't say it on the survey, but I'd imagine it's to the pub. (laughs) And money is the most common cause of stress amongst women, while men cite work as greater in their stress levels. 
The survey goes on to say that students of university age, 17 to 24, are amongst the most stressed members of society. We have to remember our young people, they go through a lot. And the survey also takes into account where people live, stating that people living in Northern Ireland suffer the most with residents experiencing stress for over 12 days a month. Wow. So worry does have an effect on our health, both mentally and physically. Another reason we shouldn't worry is because it minimizes our effectiveness. Someone once said, if you're tempted to worry, remember that a raisin was once a happy grape. Worry tends to shrivel. Come on, you, come on, you can work faster than that. Worry tends to shrivel us up and make us uh, ineffective. Corrie Tenboom, who was instrumental in helping many Jews avoid the Nazi uh, Holocaust during World War II, said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And there was an article not so long ago that talked about a man who moved to the country to get away from the stress of the city. His new neighbours kept chickens. The cockerel was a problem. It disturbed the man's sleep with its loud crowing. When he complained, the neighbour said, surely that's not a big deal. He only crows at sunrise, to which the man replied, that's true, but if you only knew how much I suffer waiting for it to happen. Often we anticipate the negative so much that it destroys the peace we do have. Chuck Swindoll, an evangelical Christian pastor, author, educator, and radio preacher, has an excellent description of worry. He styles it as anything that drains, sorry, anything that drains your tank of joy, something you cannot change, something you are not responsible for, something you are unable to control, something that frightens and torments you and keeps you awake at night when you should be asleep. Stress becomes worry or anxiety when it's too intense or goes on for too long, similar to physical exercises that cause injury or debilitation from overdoing it. Bottom line is, it's not good for us. Our English word worry comes from uh, an old Anglo-Saxon word that means to choke or strangle. That's interesting. Jesus warns us about the kind of worry that chokes the life out of us. In the parable of the sower, Jesus tells us about the seed that fell among the thorns and choked the plants to death. And when asked to explain the parable, he goes on to talk about the portion about the thorns this way in Matthew 13, 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this, uh, this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus defines several things about worry. Firstly, worry is unnatural. Why? Because nature doesn't worry. It gets on with life. In our reading this morning, in verse 26, Jesus talks about the birds of the air who don't sow or reap or store away in safe places. Have you ever seen a bird that worries? Birds always seem to get fed. 
I read somewhere that a bird eats two to three times its weight in food every day. Can you imagine trying to find that much food for you and your family every day? All the supermarkets would soon run dry. But the birds still have to find the food. God provides for them. And somehow, God will provide for us as well. Jesus goes on to say, don't worry about your clothes. Look at the flowers and grasses of the field. Even Solomon, in all his splendor, was not as well-dressed as these. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be overly concerned about your earthly possessions. This is the point where faith steps in. We have to believe that God loves us and wants to provide for us. There's an old Jewish saying, he who has a loaf in his basket and says, what will I eat tomorrow, is a man of little faith. If we worry about things, that stops faith acting. And in doing so, stops God providing. It's a chain reaction. We have to change our viewpoint. Circumstances come round to enable us to grow in faith. Matthew 17:26 says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that's the smallest seed you can get, you can still say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Secondly, worry is unhelpful. Thank you. Why? Because it doesn't actually change anything. You can spend all day worrying about something. At the end of the day, has it changed it? No. Death was walking into a city one morning. And a man asked, what are you going to do? I'm going to take a hundred people, Death replied. That's horrible, the man said. That's the way it is, Death replied. That's what I do. The man hurried away to everyone he could tell about Death's plan. As evening fell, he met Death again leaving the city. You told me you were only going to take a hundred people, the man said. Why did one thousand die? I kept my word, Death responded. I only took a hundred people. Worry took the others. Someone once suggested that if you're going to worry, you should do it scientifically. They suggested two important steps you should take in this process. First, they said to write down a list of all your worries. This transfers the anxiety from your head to a piece of paper. Second, define a definite time every week as your worry hour. They suggest that perhaps four o'clock on a Thursday would be a good time to worry. When that scheduled time comes, sit down with your piece of paper and start worrying to the best of your ability. They said if someone asks you what you're doing, just explain to them that you're going down your list of worries. I'm on number four at the moment. They also gave a warning, be sure to take your list of worries with you wherever you go because you're going to look awfully, sitting, awfully silly sitting there worrying about what it is you are supposed to be worrying about. In our scripture this morning, Jesus mentions the word worry six times. So he must have thought we do a lot of it. And it's important, therefore, to put some perspective on the matter. We don't need to worry. Did Jesus ever worry? No. Why? 
because he had his faith and trust firmly placed in his heavenly father. Ours should be as well. Thirdly, worry is unchristian. Why? Because it reflects a lack of faith. When we're preoccupied with worries, it's sending a message to God that we don't trust him. We have to learn to overcome worry. A man was so worried about his ageing process that he stuck braces on his false teeth to look younger. Perhaps you could try that sometime. (laughs) Montaigne, one of the most significant philosophers of the French Renaissance, said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. And since we don't know what will happen tomorrow, let's quit worrying about it and live for today. Worrying can be a sin. Worry can take over our lives. We can be so preoccupied with our worries that it's not just God who can't get through. No one else can either. God says that he will take care of all our needs. Psalm 55:22. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. One commentator said, worry is a form of atheism, for it demonstrates a lack of faith and trust. But it can also lead us into sin. 1 Peter 5, 6-8 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, it's a reflection of Psalm 55, 22 that I just read. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a lion, roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our worries can lead us astray. They can give the devil an opportunity to get a foothold in our lives. We have to look beyond ourselves if we want to experience God's gift of peace. Where is your trust, your faith? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. How then do we give God our worry in exchange for his gift of peace? One, let Jesus be the Lord of our lives. We need to ask ourselves this question. What deserves the most important place in our thought life? And the answer to that question is not so much what, but who? Jesus. We read earlier in Matthew 6:33, But first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we learn to put God first and make his kingdom purposes our primary concern, We don't have to worry about a lot of things that are going on in our lives. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, writes, Do not be anxious, that's do not be worried about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There might be someone here today who doesn't know Jesus or someone who hasn't yet made Jesus the Lord of their lives. Today's your time. Jesus is calling you. 
Will you respond to him before you leave? There's a time of ministry that we're going to have at the conclusion of my talk. This is your opportunity. Don't let it pass. You might not get another chance this side of eternity. Secondly, live a day at a time. God gives you enough power and strength for today, but not for tomorrow. Think of the Israelites in the desert. God gave them just enough manna for that day, and that day only. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the, good, the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Isaiah 43, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. He gives us the strength to deal with what comes today. And Jesus says, if you want to effectively win over sorrow, over worry, you have to develop an eternal perspective. Look at the last verse of our reading this morning, Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And James 4.14 underlines this verse when, it, when James writes, Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Worrying about tomorrow only takes away from the energy that you need to live for today. Don't waste your time and energy worrying about tomorrow when you've got enough stuff to handle right now. Reality check. A lot of stuff that you're most likely worrying about will never happen. Remember, tomorrow never comes, so live for today. Thirdly, lean on the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. There's many people here today that can testify that God is faithful. Lamentations 3, 23 reads, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies come from an infinite well. How many of us know that? Psalm 121, 7 to 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. We have to learn to lean into God, to talk regularly with him, to let him, as you read his word, to remind you of his promises. And these things should be part of our daily walk with Jesus. Remember, talking to God is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Let me ask you these questions this morning, the answers of which are just between you and God. When was the last time you had a conversation with him? When was the last time you opened his word so that he could respond to you? What will it take for you to get into a relationship with Jesus? You wonder why you worry about things. The answer may well be in the answer to the three questions I've just posed. Paul recommends two things we can do with worry. Firstly and foremost, we can tell God about it. 
That's our start point. That involves prayer. And what's prayer, you ask? It's simply talking to God. How many of us spend hours on the phone or on our mobiles talking to family and friends? Wouldn't it be nice if you called Jesus? He's longing to have a conversation with you. Secondly, thank God for what he's already done for you. The Bible is full of thank yous to God. And here's just a couple of verses. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Chronicles 16.13.34 Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Gratitude focuses our mind on the goodness and the gifts of God rather than the worries and problems that surround us. You can dwell on your worries or you can dwell on God's promises. Your choice. What did Paul say in Philippians 4 that I read earlier? Don't worry about what? Anything. Period. You see, if we let Jesus be king of our lives, live one day at a time and lean on his faithfulness, we will then receive, as Paul continues in Philippians 4, the peace of God which surpasses our understanding, for he will guard our hearts and mind. His gift of peace to us. We serve a God who spoke the universe into existence. He showed his love for us on the cross of Calvary. He proved his power over sin and death when he arose from the grave. Don't you think he can handle your worries? If you go walking along some of the rural roads in India, you'll periodically come come across a post in the ground that has a sturdy shelf built into it. And the natives call this post Somatonga. It means a resting place. And when people are walking with heavy loads on their back or sometimes on their head, they stop for a while and place their heavy load on the shelf for relief. And once they've rested, they then continue on with their journey. And Christians in India call Jesus, my Somatonga, Jesus, my resting place. Matthew 11:28:30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last slide, please. As I said at the beginning of my talk, we're fast approaching Christmas. The shepherds and kings came to see the newborn Jesus in a manky stable in Bethlehem. Some brought gifts with them to give to the new king. And no doubt on Christmas Day, you too will exchange gifts with those in your own households. The thing about the gift is, not only does it have to be given, but it also has to be received as well. If you want it, you have to take it. Jesus is offering to exchange your worries, your anxieties, for his gift of peace. So the question I leave you with today is, do you want his gift? Amen.